Welcome to The Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mom of six kids, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Payne Show. I have been really looking forward to this episode because I get to have two people in studio. It's not very often that I get to interview two people at the same time. It is Chuck and Ashley Elliott. They have a brand new book that I recently read. And y'all, we need this book in our culture. I need this book. And I think everyone listening, you are going to be so encouraged by what they have to share. Now, the title of their book, I had to ask them how I actually say the title because there is a blank in the title. I've never done a podcast episode with a book that has a blank in the title. It's I used to be, and then there's a blank. And they have on the cover things like I used to be married. I used to be pregnant. I used to be employed. I used to be a son. I used to be engaged. I used to be secure. I used to be a sister. And on and on and on it goes. And so this is just really about filling in that blank of what did you used to be? And the subtitle is how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. Chuck and Ashley, I'm so just honored to have you here today. And I'd love for you to start out by telling us just a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Really, thank you for having us. Mm -hmm. It's really an honor. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. So for us, Ashley and I have been married for 16 years. And Ever since we got married, it was like shortly after getting married, about a year, we got into being marriage educators. And we knew that that was going to be a part of our life, like helping people to have better relationships. And that's okay, I just have to stop you right there. So I saw that marriage educators in the yeah. book, and I'm like, what is that exactly? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So Ashley and I were part of an organization, a federal grant, actually. The Community Marriage Builders was in our hometown of Evansville, Indiana. And what we would do is we would do retreat weekends. We would do workshops to help people have better relationships. It was to reduce the divorce rate. And luckily we saw that, that it was effective and lots of things we got to do with that. Yeah. And basically we taught communication skills to help people have better relationships. And it was a lot of fun. The federal grant that they, they paid for awesome events weekends away. It was mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. We loved getting to do that. But that was really formative because Ashley and I love to speak together. We love talking about this stuff. We got trained in a lot of different types of curriculums and exposure to things that led to us being able to write our own things and develop that. So that was a little bit of part of that. So we we did that for several years. Unfortunately, the grant ended, so we couldn't do that anymore. And um, I've been a pastor on staff at a church since 2011. Ashley's a licensed therapist. We've got three kiddos. But along the way, we had some grief and some losses that led to us developing this content. Yeah. In 2015, 16, and 17, we faced recurrent miscarriage. So we lost babies each of those years. And we went through going to specialists, praying about it, considering if we wanted to try again. But we knew during that process that it was hard for us emotionally to go through grief. Like We continued to barrel on and do ministry, but we didn't see a lot of people talking about their own losses. And we just saw some struggle. And so we decided we really want to do something. I'm not sure that now is the time because we were kind of in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. But then we decided 
when we were pregnant with our, our last, we were like, this is the last time we're trying. And like, regardless, we're going to do something. And if the baby makes it, then we're going to take a year just to celebrate him. And we welcomed him in 2018 and did take the year off. And we just celebrated him. We, we worked. We worked normal jobs. But we're like, we're not going to do any grief work like, right Wait a now. second, I worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we ended up being able to um, film a video about loss. And that was one of our first things we did around the one year mark, a year Mm -hmm. and a few months later. And so we were able to just continue going there with just different practical steps and helping people with loss and grief and their relationships, help people communicate through it. And it's kind of led us to where we are today. Yeah. So we've tried to put together our perspectives, me as a pastor, Ashley as a therapist and saying, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And that's kind of where we are now. And so this, the concept of this book, I used to be fill in the blank. Where did that come from? I mean, obviously you've walked through some loss, but was this something that you've always been passionate about helping people with this concept? I think the identity piece that comes with loss is not something that people talk a lot about. But one of the things I heard recently that I identified with, someone said that they could see a picture of themselves before the loss and they knew that that was a different version of themselves. So it just spoke to how they felt like they're a different person. And so as we're hearing people, this was after the book had come out, but as we're hearing people just over the years share about their losses, and then as we face our own, we saw just how much it erect our identity. Mm-hmm. And so one of the losses that I experienced was the loss of a job. And I got let go when I was going through training. It's like, I used to be employed. Like we were starting to dream about what life would be like. And it really made me question who I was as a woman of God, question who I was as a wife. Was I good enough? And so it wasn't just with the employment that I was affected. It affected so many different areas of my life. And so as we were kind of processing the way Mm -hmm. that it affected us with unwanted titles and unexpected new skills that were needed, like, wow, all of this is just that identity level that's really challenging for us to face. Well, and when people ask about you, they ask about, okay, tell me about yourself. I probably say, well, I'm a pastor, I'm married, I've got three kids. Those are titles. Those are things that I would fill in a blank. Mm. And I could say, I used to be a pastor. I used to be married. I used to be a father. If I lost any of those things, and that'd be pretty serious. There was um, a time several years ago where we had a close friend who lost her husband. And Ashley and I showed up at her house and she opened the door, looked us in the eye, and she just gave one of those hugs that you can't imagine getting any tighter. And she pretty much collapsed into my arms. Mm. And it was after that we were sitting on the couch and just talking a little bit and those moments of silence where you don't know what to say. And she had her head in her hands and she was looking down and she said quietly, I never thought I'd be a widow. She gained an unwanted title. She never thought that she would have that title. She never thought she'd say, I used to be married and it came too soon. It came unexpectedly and it completely rattles our identity. When we lose something, and this could be something large, something small. If you say, I used to be a business owner, in comparison, it could feel small to losing a spouse. But if you find your identity and you being a leader and providing for other people and having a business in the community and being able to show up to work every day and do what you do and do what you do well, and you lose that, it really shakes who you are. And so I feel like no matter who you are, where you are, there's something that you could say I used to be, and mm-hmm. it's something that you've lost. And I always think of, we never know 
when we are meeting someone, what the loss has been in their life. I think of like in my life with foster care and with loving a little boy for eight and a half months and then giving him back to his mom. And it's the grief, grieving the living mm. like and not knowing whether we would ever see him again. And then there's all of that fear and the unknown of, you know, what could happen in his future. And, you know, I think of the three months after we said goodbye to him and there was just that you carry that around that loss. But when people would ask me, how many kids do you have? Mm. And I was, I wouldn't know how to answer because it's like, well, I sort of have this other child, but like, how do you explain that? And, yeah. and as I was reading your book, I was just thinking about that. Like, that's one of those things where it's like, there's not a, a lot that's written on this. Like I used to be a foster mom to a little boy mm. who still feels so important to me. And yet, you know, and I, mm -hmm. it just makes me think of how many people are carrying around stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that, I, yeah, I really like that you bring that up because that is something that could be in the in-between. And when someone asks you not knowing how to answer it, because you could be questioning, okay, if I tell somebody that I'm grieving this, are they going to understand? Mm -hmm. Are they going to validate it? Are they going to minimize it? But it is real. You had a mm -hmm. kiddo who was with you for eight months who you cared about deeply, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. And it was something that changed your life, your family's life. It changes your patterns, your habits in the home. And that's something real to grieve and to process. Mm -hmm. And if you wouldn't allow yourself to do that, it could... It could really prevent you from being open emotionally, maybe mm -hmm. to other relationships. You could feel like you're carrying something you're not identifying. And that's some of the, that's, that's a really great example of some of the things that people don't have conversations about. And when they do, it makes them a lot more healthy. Mm -hmm. And for, for us with grief and identifying those losses, I think sometimes we, we would minimize our loss. Like our loss is too small. Mm. I won't call that grief. And I think we do that even with, with bad experiences. If it's at a, we go to a restaurant and we have a hard time and you're like, oh, someone has it worse. It's like, it's okay to have a hard day or a hard moment, but sometimes minimizing it actually makes the grieving process longer. You know, mm -hmm. if it's something really small, like a restaurant, you know, we're like, oh, but I'm grateful that we can bounce back. But if we bury it and we, oh, other people have it worse, then that's one little thing buried that then the next day we go to do something and then we're like, oh, grace has no room for struggles. Or we say some really cliche spiritual thing. And, mm -hmm. and then we just pile it on, pile mm -hmm. it on to when we just fall to our knees and like, I'm not strong enough. Mm -hmm. And so the approach we like to take is just saying, hey, it's okay whether it's a small grief or a big grief. We're trying to go to a perfect God and help and ask for his help processing. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, that, we find hope. And so God, I don't think cares if we compare ourselves to others. He knows that we need him all mm -hmm. equally. We're all equal at this, but at the foot of the cross. And it's hard work to be self-aware, to realize something's not okay in me. And the marriage work that Ashley and I do, we talk about being current, which means there's no undiscussed conflict between us. It doesn't mean everything has to be perfect all the time, but it means it's all out on the table. If you don't do a check with yourself and realize, oh, I'm not okay, I'm not current with my emotions, my grief, and I'm not recognizing it, then it's going to stop some kind of other processing, some type of other health that you really need. So how would, I feel like that there are a lot of us, I include myself in, in that, that are, we have grief in our life that maybe we don't even recognize it's something that has been a loss that we need to grieve. Like what are some kind of signs or warning flags that we can that can help us recognize oh this is actually loss that i haven't processed mm. something i need to grieve 
Yeah. You mentioned a trigger earlier. So if there's something that stimulates really strong emotions, maybe it's anger or we shut down and all of a sudden like, I'm not talkative anymore. That would be a sign that something has maybe recently happened that reminded us of pain. And so we can say pain if that's easier than grief. You know, okay, did I just experience a jab in the stomach reminding me of some pain? Did someone ask me like, oh, hey, do you have any girls? That'd be something that people ask me. It's like, oh, well, oh, you're a boy mom. I'm a boy mom. I'm like, yes, I am a boy mom. In most days, that's fine. But we did lose one of our babies was a girl. And so that awkwardness of knowing how to answer those questions is a real thing. And sometimes if we, again, have had a few negative encounters, we might feel a little bit more punched in the gut. So anytime that we feel that, that's a small nugget or a big nugget that could be faced. And if we process it, then we can get to a better place. One of my favorite things that Ashley says is be curious. Be curious. If something feels off, it doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you're wrong for feeling what you're feeling, but investigate it. Okay. Where was I? Who was I with? What was going on? What time of day was it when I felt triggered, I felt bad, I felt emotional, whatever it was. And then analyzing that will enable you to do something to make a change. So to talk about some specifics, because you did ask, ask for specifics, if someone's single and someone asks, oh, what are you doing for Christmas? That could be something that someone's like, I don't know, you know, and you just feel triggered. Mm -hmm. Or it could be someone that is just trying to have a conversation. They say, how are you? You're like, why? They just asked me, how are you? And I'm just so angry. Like, wait a minute. I, cause I don't want to lie to them. I feel triggered, but I don't know that canned response that I should give them, or maybe I should be vulnerable with them. And so it's so varied. I think there's a million different ways that we might respond, but knowing that there are some specific triggers that are unique to us, that those come along and say, alert, alert, red flag, deal with me so that you can get better and find healing. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. If you've heard me talk at all over the last few years, you know that I went through a season where I had very severe seasonal allergies and it took me a while to figure out what was triggering it and it was debilitating. If you've ever suffered from this, I actually had my polyps got really swollen in my nose and then I got chronic rhinitis. So I could not smell out of my nose. And not only that, but I would have these really awful headaches, the kind that just kept me from being able to enjoy my life. And I started going to an ENT and one of the things that he recommended was Claritin D. And so for a time period, I took Claritin and it was such a help to me. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It works so well. I am a living testament to how well it works. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. So if you've ever suffered from seasonal allergies, if you can relate to kind of some of the things that I have experienced and you want some relief, 
I highly recommend checking out Claritin D. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart, and I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz 
it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amoir a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amoir.style forward slash crystal. That is amoir.style A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoire today. I loved you shared a story about being upset about a dog. <laughs> Chuck, yeah. You talked about that right before you were leaving for college, I mm-hmm. think it was. And, and I thought that that was so profound because I think so often when I am talking with parents who are really frustrated with their kids about things or really stressed about something with their kids. And I always say, like, dig deeper. Like what's underneath that? Where is that coming from? Because I think so often our anger, our frustration, our irritation is about something different than that thing that we're projecting it on. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to talk more about that and what you learned from that. I found that sometimes when I'm angry, I feel insecure and I feel weak Mm. because anger can be a mask for some type of other emotions. Mm. I don't want to feel like I'm weak. I don't want to feel like I'm incompetent. I'm scared that I'm going to fail when I go off to college. So it's easy for me to regain some of that strength and feel powerful when I'm really worried that I'm going to be weak. And the way that I could do that would be angry about a dog. And for those of you listening, I'm not a big animal person or anything like that. And in the book, I talk about getting angry about how somebody was taking care of a dog who was a neighbor of mine and completely uncharacteristic of me. I called people. I was making a fit about it. And I was just over the top. I mean, I was going to make a commercial. (laughs) And all of it was, all of it was, is I was getting ready to leave for college. And I was really scared I was going to fail. I was going off on my own. I was a poor student in high school. I got accepted into a university and you know what? I didn't do great the first semester of college. I ended up flunking out, but I had things that I needed to deal with and I didn't deal with them the best way. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized that I was scared. I try to do that now. I'm a little bit more snippy with somebody at work or somebody when I'm driving or Ashley or especially the kids because Those of you who are parents, you know that your kids can sometimes be a soft place to land your anger because they're not as justified in being angry back at you and they're not going to put you in timeout. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous thing to do. So I know with my sons and I have, we have three boys, uh, 13, 11, and five. And especially with a 13 or 11 year old, if I'm being short with them or my, my words are a little bit more aggressive, I have to check myself and realize now, that's not their problem. This is this is Chuck's problem. Mm. And we can go back to being curious in those moments when we recognize it in ourselves. Like, okay, that doesn't sound like me. Is there something deeper going mm-hmm. on? And then when we do, we understand like for us, it's oftentimes displacement. Like I'm frustrated with something else that seems bigger and the kids are a safe place or we're a safe place to displace that disappointment, frustration, mm-hmm. or aggression. Or the messy house or the dishes or whatever else it is. And mm-hmm. some other thing that can be easy to get angry at because we want to regain our power or those mm-hmm. dogs, right? <laughs> that we don't have. <laughs> <we> yeah. Have. <laughs> you talk about the three A's to change. You talk about how 
when we've been wounded, we have a choice to make. And you talk about how we can grab a cloth and attempt to stop the bleeding, or we can deny that we've been injured. And you say, let's apply pressure to the wound to stop the bleeding. What are the three A's to change? Okay. The first A is to build awareness. So as what we're, as we've been talking today, we're building awareness going, okay, um, I'm going to be curious. Is there something that's a trigger out there? Is there something going on that I'm grieving? But regardless of whether it's a large or small thing we want to change, if it's a fitness goal or weight loss goal, a family goal, or if something that's grief related, we can use the three A's to change. And so the first one is to be aware, aware that we have a problem, something that we want to change. And then that second step is to assess. And so we're going to look at all of the things we've done in the past. There's been some things that's worked and some things that haven't worked. So we look at what's worked and what hasn't worked. And then we're going to try to make a menu of options that we want to try in the future. So learning from what's worked and what hasn't worked. And then we can be outlandish in it. Sometimes couples will say, you know, they want to have a better marriage, but they've tried everything. That's that negative space. When we get in a negative space, we get stuck. We think we've tried everything. But we say, okay, well, well, have you talked about it? During the day, oh no, we both work. Oh, have you done this? Oh no, we. So you're only talking about it Saturday night at 10 p.m., and you're oftentimes getting angry. Now that's insightful. <laughs> you know, like, oh, when we take time to be aware and we assess what's not working, we can sometimes see it when we put it on paper and go, okay, well, we've got to really carve out some time when we're in our green zone, as Carrie Newhoff would say, you know, when we're at our best, yeah. then we can look at what is working for us. So then that third A is to act. So once we've thought about there's something thought that there's something we need to change we assess and then we act and then we keep cycling through this process over and over again mm-hmm. and the thing we try to remind people is just because you act doesn't mean you picked the right thing first mm. we often don't so Ashley says this menu of options after you've gone through the assessment phase you'd probably need to pick something again and then you know what you try something else and then you try something else because it's a worthwhile goal. It's worthwhile to process your grief. It's worthwhile to work on your marriage. It's worthwhile to be a better parent. It's worthwhile to be a better leader, a better boss, whatever it might be that you're applying the three A's to. And that's a lot of what we do with our coaching. We're going through the three A's and then we're encouraging people that, you know what? Okay. You found out something else that doesn't work. Pick another thing on the list and we're going to act and we're going to keep going through it. What do you do when you're just so discouraged because you've tried multiple things and you're like, it just feels like nothing. Like you were saying that negative space, but you feel like, I mean, I can hear the person saying, well, but that's not a negative space. Like that's reality. Like Mm. I feel like I've tried so many things and just nothing's working. Yeah. When I'm in a positive space, I will look at even the frustrations and the things that haven't worked and I'll look at them differently. So one of the things we love to help people do is really become familiar with their positive space and negative space and how it does look different. Because for example, one of our kids said that that they didn't thought, think we loved them. So in a negative space, you'd say, you don't love me. But we had him literally write it down. This was when it was just on white paper instead of a worksheet that we have now. But he wrote down, like, my parents love me. And so whenever he could understand, like, oh, I am literally believing something different. My same brain believes something different when I get in a negative space. That helped him. And it's helped us and it's helped a lot of clients as they realize, oh, I think differently in a negative space. And so we want to help people to recognize, even when they do feel like they've literally tried 25 things, and it really might be really discouraging. It might not be 
is as repairable as it seems, right? Because there's some some situations that you're not going to, like, you can't stay in the same job. If you tried 25 things, it might be time to go ahead and try a new job. And so it is okay to say, now I leave. Like, that was my answer. So the, the act, like, I tried the 17 things mm-hmm. to try to repair this, and now I give myself permission to go and try to find another job because we want to keep doing something. But again, like when I get really stuck, I mean, it's, it's happened to this week. It's happened last week. And I'm not sure I've had a week when it didn't happen, but I have gotten stuck in that negative space at some point, And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. And when I get encouragement, oh, the book is helpful. Oh, your counseling is helpful. And I'm like, okay, I can keep going. But sometimes when you're going through grief, like you're facing miscarriage or you're having marriage problems, mm-hmm. or you're trying to move and you're going to lose all your family, there's something that it's really big and painful that it's not just a click like, oh, make a list and you're going to just get yourself back to a positive space. It's not that pretty. Mm-hmm. It is a process of sometimes months that it can take to help people really get back to that positive space day in and day out. Well, there's some tools and things that you can do. There's an exercise in our book that talks about mental stability and instability and recognizing what you look like when you're mentally stable mm-hmm. and what do you look like when you're mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. So when you lack stability, you may not be doing the things to take care of your basic needs like eating, sleeping, relationships, communication, whatever that might be. And recognizing that I feel like I'm lacking hope okay, well, I'm having some of the behaviors that look a lot like mental instability. So it's not just this quick switch like Ashley said, but you can take on some of the behaviors that are what you look like when you're mentally stable and you find yourself being more hopeful, being more motivated because everybody listening to this, there's been times where you've been motivated. There's been times when you've been hopeful. There's times that you felt like you were strong. It's not always going to be that way, but we can talk about what does it look like to get back to some of those elements and apply those skills to the new situation. I would say feeling follows action. So start acting the way you want to feel. Absolutely. And it's amazing how it can make such a difference. Um, I, As we close, I would love for you to speak more on miscarriage. I know that this is a theme that you talk some throughout your book, but it is something that I have found that there are so many women of anything that I have talked about online, um, I haven't personally experienced a miscarriage, but we had 10 years of secondary infertility. And whenever we found out that by a miracle we were expecting after 10 years, um, I got hundreds, hundreds of messages from women saying, I can no longer follow you because it's going to be too hard for me. And I have been on the internet for years and years and years at this point and talked about lots and lots of different things. And it struck me that this is an area when it comes to pregnancy, loss, infertility, miscarriage, that I feel like affects women and couples at this deep, deep level, more than at least to me, based upon the messages that I got from that, anything I'd ever seen or experienced before. Um, I'd love for you to speak to the couple the that they are either experiencing infertility or they are the woman who is single, desperately longing to be married and have kids, or the, the woman who has experienced pregnancy loss and just some of what you have learned through that experience, I'd love for you to share with them. Yeah. Well, first, just I'm so sorry to anyone who's listening and has faced that. And I wish that it wasn't the case you know, for all of us because it's so heart-wrenching. 
And so, I mean, most of all, we know we can't say anything that's going to be the right word. So I just go ahead and acknowledge that, that whatever words come out of my mouth will be short because we're, we, we will fall short because we're imperfect. But I do feel like the power of having people involved in my life was bigger than I felt. And I, I know that I was just continually coping. And so one of the, after one of the miscarriages, I went to work the next day and I just remember feeling so off. It was that I used to be, you know, I used to be someone who could work. I can't even think straight. I don't want to be here. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm, um, I just have a million different emotions. <laughs> like, I don't care about policy. This is really unimportant. And so I think that reality just shows how important it is to be a parent, to have a family. And I think God wants that for us. He wants us to value that role of leaving a legacy through a family. And, and I think sometimes the spiritual, the seemingly spiritual answers people give are really hard. And so I had a lot of people that said hurtful things to me in the name of God, like they were trying to be helpful. And I think as a seasoned Christian, I was able to filter out some of that, but it still hurt deeply. People would say things, I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that's what God is saying. I don't think God took my baby to spite me, or I don't think I did anything wrong. But people would say these things that then gave me theology to, to wrestle with in a time of loss. So for anyone who's not face loss, but you have someone that has face loss, do something, give them love, you know, just show them more often than you think that that you care for them. I think that was one of the biggest things. I had a hard time asking for help from my family members. And again, I barreled through and went to work and I wish that I would have given myself time to take off work. And so I think that our culture doesn't always speak to that really well. And so I think it's time for more of us to maybe demand from ourselves something that the world isn't offering to us. And that's why I've learned, like I had some medical things. I'm like, man, we have to be our own advocates sometimes because people just don't see or don't understand. And so it is a hard thing to go through and it is a little bit more quiet than other things because people may not see your protruding belly yet. I mean, it takes sometimes half the pregnancy for that to happen. And that's, it's usually earlier that this loss happens. We found that people really want to be supportive, but they can't be unless you ask them. And just because you ask them doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. But asking for somebody to sit with you, asking for somebody to let you vent, asking for someone to come over and you just lay your head in their lap and you cry and being there in those moments, um, not expecting that person to fix it. And if you're on the other end of it, knowing like what Ashley said, you're not going to say something to take the pain away, but you can be with them. We want people to see us, but we don't want to be told what we look like. We don't want people to see us when we look like we've been crying and we feel like we're a mess. But if we think about it, if someone were to ask one of us, we'd say, yeah, I'll be there for you. But for some reason, we're not, we don't think we're worthy of asking for it. Mm. And it's, it's a lie. And I was so vulnerable. I think I couldn't handle that rejection. You know, mm. if I asked someone to come and they told me no. If they would have said no. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's just so hard to feel like so unstable. Like I'm normally strong and just I felt so weak. Mm-hmm. I love how one section of the book you talk about asking someone to come over and just listen and like say, we don't need you to fix this. We don't need any words of advice. We just need someone to listen. And I think that that's really powerful and almost like stating your needs, not just, can you come over, but like, can you come over and just sit with 
us. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought that that was just really beautiful and profound. And, and for those of us who, you know, maybe are being asked to be, you know, recognize like, we don't need to fix it. Like you said, like just sit with people, like the power of presence, like that is so powerful of just being with people. And I think of God being Emmanuel, God with us and mm-hmm. coming down to this earth to be with us. And I want to follow in his steps to just be with other people. Thank you so much for sharing today. I'm just so grateful for this book. Um, there's so much more that we didn't get into. I loved, I was telling um, Chuck and Ashley beforehand that, that I love how practical it is. It's just, if you are looking for a guide, kind of someone to hold your hand, to walk you through the process of, I don't know how to deal with this that thing that I'm feeling or this loss that I'm experiencing, this grief that I'm walking through. They make it very practical. They've given some little tidbits on the podcast. There's so much more in their book. So I highly recommend go get a copy of I Used to Be fill in the blank, how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. And we'll link to it in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 